Pastor Brett, Pastor Brett not only leads you locally, but he leads us nationally. He's an apostolic leader. And so in our family of churches, our every nation family of churches, you can say he leads our country. But be it family or country, how many of us know there can be conflict? Life is all about relationships, a relationship to God and a relationship to each other. And when there is conflict, there is stress. In the book of Genesis, we go back to the formation of the nation of Israel, the people of Israel. The patriarch Jacob has 12 sons. The 11th of those 12 sons, his name is Joseph, arguably the favored one. And he's so favored that his older brothers don't like him. In fact, they hate him. He's the dreamer. He's always hearing things from God, sometimes about them, and they have had enough. And so offended are they that they apprehend him and throw him into a pit and have him sold into slavery. This is bad on every level. Then, as a slave in Potiphar's house, he is the captain of the palace guard, the secret service to protect Pharaoh. He is accused of a rape he does not commit. He goes from Potiphar's house to the pit of prison, where again... He rises to a place of prominence because, as you see in Scripture there, he is given favor by God. There is no mention that he becomes bitter towards the Lord, but he languishes for two years there. An attempt to have a good word put in for his release fails, but in a moment, and there's always a moment where God comes suddenly and he's called upon to interpret a dream that is given Pharaoh. The successful interpretation of that dream vaults him from the pit of prison into prominence in the palace. And he is given run of leadership of the entire kingdom, the empire of Egypt. Arguably the mightiest people on the face of the planet. In a moment, a dream becomes reality. Well, he's still unresolved in his relationship with his brothers. How many of us know brothers can betray us? <laughs> Thirteen years from the time he is thrown into the pit, there is a famine. And the famine causes Jacob, up in years now, to send his brothers, with the exception of the youngest one, Benjamin, to seek relief from Egypt. Little do they know that in charge is the brother that they had betrayed. And here is the moment that culminates. Rather than me read the lengthy scripture, we'll go on screen where the beautiful LED will replay history. Take a look. Leave us. I said leave us. Get out! Guards, come! 
I am Joseph. Be afraid, I will not harm you. Am I to take the place of God? Joseph. It is not for me to punish you. You meant evil against me, yes. But God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Amazing moment. This reconciliation would become the seed of progenitorship to the creation of what we know today as the nation of Israel, which will be the theater and the arena for the second coming of Christ, where in the Middle East, world history and prophetic history are colliding and converging. This moment was born of offense and betrayal. Three things I want to leave us with, Grace Covenant Church today. Three things from this moment and this season. The first thing is forgiveness. Forgiveness, which is often taught, but often misunderstood. Let's revisit what it is. The great apostle Paul in the book of Colossians says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Put on is a key word here. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, which, is mean, which means unconditionally, you also must forgive. The Apostle Paul puts the imperative, must forgive. A command is often given in Scripture for something that will not be easy for us to do. It is a commandment. And the, the, the key word here is to put on. Put on, which means to put on something externally, like a garment, as I'll point out very shortly. Jesus tells Peter about forgiveness. Peter approaches him. We know that Peter was the physical disciple, eventual apostle. He was the linebacker, right? He hit first, asked questions later. Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. He knew what Peter was getting at. Jewish law said you can extend forgiveness three times. After that, you can exact subtle, skillful retribution when offended. That was just Jewish law. And so Peter was trying to be magnanimous, and he was saying, seven times, Lord? Because I think he had a person in mind. That's just speculation. That's just me or persons. 
And Jesus blows his mind. He says, no, 77 times. Another translation, 70 times, 7 times. What is the point here? Peter, you need to forgive as often as is necessary until what's on the outside gets, put on, gets formed on the inside. Now, why am I saying this? Let's go back to the scripture there in Colossians. When Paul uses the words put on in the original language, it means to simply to put on. Let me paraphrase and summarize. It means to put on an outer garment, just like I chose to put on this coat this morning in Hawaii. We don't wear coats. It's hot. By the way, and this morning, I looked at my iPhone. It's as hot here as it is in Hawaii. But out of respect and honor to the culture that's here, unlike my associate, Pastor Paris, who did not even bring a coat, who has lived on the mainland and different places of the planet, who I thought would be culturally intelligent, I have brought a coat, and I have put it on. Now, did I feel like putting the coat on? No. But you put on on the outside that eventually God will work in your heart on the inside, and that is what Paul is saying. Forgiveness is what you choose. It is a decision, not an emotion. So many people say, I don't feel like forgiving, and I am not going to forgive. Well, you've heard this definition said so often that holding resentment in you and not forgiving is like drinking the poison yourself and expecting the other person to die. But it's true. Medical science says, and we have doctors in our church, they say that the hormonal reaction and the chemical exchange in your body creates toxicity that will lead to diseases like cancer and arthritis, among others. Stress. And so Jesus is saying to Peter, look, I know it's difficult, but choose to put on the action, make the decision that's not dependent on emotion. Forgive, I forgive, I forgive, I forgive. It seems so disingenuous and inauthentic, but it is something we must choose to do. Scripture says this, when we forgive, we place the other party into God's hands. Romans 12, 19, which could become your favorite scripture if you're not careful. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it, in the, leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. That's not a good motivation to forgive, but it helps. <laughs> In other words, God, we deal with ourselves. When we forgive, we actually and intentionally put the other party or parties into the hands of God. God says, you're responsible for you by my grace and spirit working in you. I'll deal with them. And when you deal with you, I will deal with them. But let's begin with you. Essentially, Jesus was talking to Peter about this. Now, I want to tell you a story. In 1977, and I say that at a little bit of risk with everything that's going on in society today, I was a ministry intern, three and a half years removed, three and a half years removed from being a drummer in nightclubs. I know, I see the look. <laughs> you don't believe me. It was an Asian drummer playing black funk music <laughs> in clubs. Listen, you laugh, but I made good money while my friends were pumping gas. Thank you. 
Well, a woman who had a master's degree was a longtime believer, five years older than I was, ran the floor of one of Hawaii's largest hospitals, the COO of which today is in our church, had a list of 13 accusations leveled against me for inappropriate behavior, none of which was true. She brought me up before the elders and the pastoral staff, and I sat in an inquisition as she read the specific allegations, and I was horrified and angered deeply and embarrassed. And I remember after she read those allegations, there was silence in the room. I was dealing with immense anger. And a prophetic guy who happened to be one of my Bible college deans spoke up and broke the silence. And he says, you're lying. You have had issues from your past. What he was essentially saying, you've been abused in your past. You've never been healed of it. You've never faced it and dealt with it. Therefore, you're projecting. And I sat there. I went, thank you, Jesus. But the room stayed quiet. It was a prophet's word piercing the lie with truth. She got up, manifested great emotion, and stormed out out of the door, slammed the door, and that was that. And it, it remained silent. That was the awkward part. And then the senior pastor said, Norman, we choose to believe you. But I looked at the other guys, and I thought, I wonder what they're thinking, and I wonder what they're choosing to believe. Well, three years would go by after that incident, I married. We were having dinner. I remember the day so vividly to this day. I was eating creamed tuna with my wife. <laughs> Elegant dish. The phone rang. And as soon as I picked up that phone, I knew who it was. It was her. And she said, I have called to ask you to forgive me. Will you forgive me? But before you answer, let me explain to you where I am, I'm at. I'm in a mental psychiatric hospital. And I am being, I'm going through therapy, and I'm calling you because I know, not only as a Christian, but I know because of what they're telling me, I need to ask you to forgive me. Will you forgive me? And of course, I said, of course, I forgive you. What I noticed when I said it, there was no anger or emotion that was there three years earlier. God had done something in my heart because, see, secretly for three years, I had to choose to forgive her. It was just three years. Three years is not a very long time. I continued training and growing as a ministry intern in our church. But the thought was, I wonder who she's talked to that believes otherwise. Because most of the time, the victim is right. I have three girls. I've had to deal with this as a pastor in our church over the 23 years since we planted it. I understand how this works. I understand that as I share this today, there's the Me Too movement all around us. And I understand that most of the time, the one who makes the accusation is right. But I was an exception. It was a lie from the pit of hell. When I chose to tell her I forgive you, she confessed to the fact that every one of those allegations were false and made up. To best of my knowledge from that point, she healed, which takes us to the next point. Forgiveness in itself leads us to healing. Yes, sir. Not everything is a deliverance Ooh. from a demon or an oppression or a stronghold. Some things have to, have to deal with the healing of the soul. Pastor Brett mentioned I have a master's in Christian counseling. Well, part of the reason I pursued that 
is I realized growing up in the ministry that not everything was to be bound and cast out. That some things just needed to be a sanctification journey. And people just need discipleship and not only deliverance. And so in the journey of all of this, I realized seasons have to come and go. And so King Solomon, author of Ecclesiastes, everything he writes, there is a, to everything there is a season or for everything and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up. There's a time for healing, and healing takes time. There are seasons for healing. And when we try to bypass what the Lord wants to work by His grace and Spirit in our soul, we skip a season, and God wants to plant seeds of healing. But without letting those seeds germinate, we harvest something else in a future season. That's what happened with this woman. It's hard to face past abuse. But if you don't, and I'll tell you as a person somewhat trained in this, you will project what you've tried to protect. And the Holy Spirit and the gospel together, word and spirit working together, must be allowed to bring a healing in our soul. Joseph was able to encounter that moment we all saw on the screen because it was 13 years from the time he was thrown into the pit to the time he was promoted into the palace. 13 years. And during that time, when you're in a dungeon, you're praying. And you're, if you're, you're hearing, as Tiffany said in leading, us, leading worship today, you're hearing from God, God, what are you saying? What are you doing in me? Why did my brothers betray me? Why, did the, why, did the, why was I forgotten by the steward in the prison? Why was I accused? Why didn't Potiphar... Believe me, I never did any of those things. And maybe some of you are there, you're going, God, where were you? Where are you? Why did they? And God wants you to understand, I'm still in control. I am Lord, not over some. I'm Lord over all. If you will trust me, you will see me work. All of us have gone through issues in life. Forgive and then let the Spirit of God heal. Let him heal, and it can lead to a reconciliation. And this is where we close today. It's a happy thought when a preacher says, here is where we close today. It's a long closing. Hang on. <laughs> reconciliation, which is what we witness with Joseph and his brothers, is desirable and ideal, but it's not always possible. Because here's what the great apostle Paul writes. Again, we go back to the book of Romans. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And it says here, look at those two words, if possible. If possible. If possible. So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Which means when he says, if possible, it may be impossible because it, it takes two people to reconcile. If the healing can al be allowed to happen over time. So it's not always possible, but most probable when there is trust. 
Here's the step that's often skipped. Quite often in pop, pop culture teaching, we say, well, if you forgive, we'll just get back to get. If you've really forgiven, we guilt others sometimes, or others guilt us into saying, let's go back to the way it used to be. Let's work together. Let's be together. Let's, let, let's, let's come back together. And we say that because of personal insecurity and need. But listen, when, when healing is not allowed to take place first, there can't be trust. The injury is still too strong and there'll be a relapse. Trust is the foundation of all relationships. But trust from an injury is earned. Forgiveness is immediate and unconditional. Mostly it's for us to keep us from being toxic, to make sure our prayers are not hindered, and the other party is placed gently into the hands of God. But trust is gradual. Forgiveness is unconditional. Trust is a matter of time. And so many people get it back out of obligation together in whatever relationships, business partnerships, marriages, courtships, or whatever, without healing that has engendered a safety of trust because the soul has come back into a place of stability. And so, if possible... Because it's not always possible. Joseph could be reconciled to his brothers because he saw over time his brothers had changed. Because he checked them out, if you read the account. And he had changed. He was brought to the place when he saw them, he wept. There's always a place where that's possible. Always a place where that's possible. Our church is, in, is next to Pearl Harbor. Historic Pearl Harbor. It's not really in Honolulu, although you can consider it, I guess, part of the larger Honolulu. We're 23 years old. I'm Japanese-American. In 2001, I went with Pastor Evangelist, founder of our family of churches, co-founder, Pastor Rice Brooks, to see the premiere of the movie Pearl Harbor starring Ben Affleck back in 2001. We saw it in Nashville. I preached for him. We went to the movie, and, and then I realized this is a bad idea <laughs> because they looked at me Weirdly. That's putting it mildly. The Japanese Empire attacked Pearl Harbor, vaulting America into the Second World War. Such that I felt so uncomfortable when I went to preach in his church, I opened with the statement, I did not bomb Pearl Harbor. <laughs> now, you're laughing just like I did. I still don't connect with why people laugh about that, but I guess I felt so self-conscious and insecure and so prejudicially looked at, I just needed to make that clear before I gave the Word of God. Well, the movie was actually filmed by my house. We, we, we had to put up with the noise, the traffic congestion, because I live right there by Pearl Harbor. That's ironic, right? Japanese-American living by Pearl Harbor. Our church is by Pearl Harbor. So as this is unfolding, my memory goes back, because I did some research to preach in Nashville. And there's two men I want to show you on screen. To your left is Mitsuo Fuchida, an assassin. Highly trained, the pilot who led the attack skillfully on Pearl Harbor on December 7th, 1941, the first bomb dropped at about 8 o'clock in the morning, Sunday morning, clear skies. To your right is Jacob DeShazer. Jacob DeShazer was peeling potatoes when he heard the news, got angry. He says, look, I'm going to fight. And he said, those Japs, which is an offensive term, term to the Japanese-American, but I'll say it because I am that. It's okay. He became a bombardier 
on a B-25 and became part of the famed Doolittle's Raiders that retaliated to the attack on Pearl Harbor. For sake of time, it was just B-25 stripped down to bare bones to be light enough to be carried on an aircraft carrier close enough to the Empire of Japan so the, the, air, the bombers could take off safely from the carrier, fly over a few cities in Japan, among them Tokyo and Nagoya, and drop bombs to send them a message that we're to be reckoned with and to give the nation of the United States of America a lift morally because we were definitely terribly embarrassed. 3,000 people lost their lives in Pearl City, Hawaii on December 7th, 1941. Where are churches? Well, here's what we need to know. Jacob DeShazer, the bombers were so stripped down, they had to take off earlier than anticipated, had to travel farther. They ran out of fuel, as some of those B-25s did, and he had to crash land in China where the empire of Japan was colonizing. He was captured, put into prison for 40 months, 34 of which was in solitary confinement, during which time he was with four other companions. They executed three others almost immediately. One died of starvation. Only an intervention by Prince Akihito saved his life. And that was God. It was just God's providence. In his stay in prison, he got saved. He asked for a Bible because people start thinking about God when you're desperate. So they finally gave him scripture. He read it from cover to cover. The gospel penetrated his heart. Jesus died for your sins. He forgave your sins. He was resurrected, breaking the power of sin. And by faith, by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone, you have eternal life and a purpose on the planet. He got saved in prison without anybody teaching him anything. That's how powerful the Word of God is. He began to treat his captors with forgiveness and love and kindness, even though they had tortured him prior. They noticed the change and began to reciprocate that gospel kindness to DeShazer. On August 20th, 1945, by then, the war ended. Paratroopers actually landed into the camp and freed him. He made a commitment right there to prepare for full-time ministry, went to Bible college and said, I'm going to go into the ministry and I want to plant a church and I want to do missionary work in the city I bombed from that B-25, which was Nagoya, Japan. He spent 30 years there planting churches, doing the work of discipleship that you're all very familiar with. In 2008, at almost 96 years of age, he, he went to be with Jesus and simply fell asleep. How's that? the favor and the grace of Almighty God. Well, he wrote a tract, a gospel tract, so moved was he by his experience. Mitsuo Fuchida, the leader of the attack on Pearl Harbor, happened to read the tract and got saved. Now, you can't make this stuff up. You really can't. And he said, I'm going to prepare for the ministry. This man who was so mistreated by my people. I'm going to prepare for the ministry and I'm going to share this Jesus. What you need to know about Mitsuo Fujita is he became most effective in his ministry in America. How's that? You can, you can never understand the awesome ways of our God. He became friends with Billy Graham, became friends with Jacob DeShazer. They bombed each other's countries. Understand that Mitsuo Fujita the person who led the attack on Pearl Harbor, where our church is, is the man whose leadership skills 
threw us into World War II. Yes, he didn't strategize the whole thing, but he was the guy who led the attack. It woke us up. Winston Churchill, Prime Minister Winston Churchill, over there in London, who always insisted that America should get into a fight she was always avoiding to protect her wealth, not wanting any more of the battle after World War I, the Great, the great War. It took so many lives. Well, Mitsuo Fuchida's leadership sovereignly vaulted America into the war which has made us the superpower we are today. And you've heard the phrase, the sleeping giant awoke. Reconciliation could occur because there was forgiveness, there was healing, trust, and reconciliation. Who do you need to forgive? Where do you need to heal? Who do you need to trust when it's safe? And who do you need to reconcile with? We look at so many issues in our country today. Race is dividing us. Philosophy is dividing us. Political ideology is dividing us. But there comes a time the theology of the gospel must unite us. One nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Scripture says very clearly, where there is unity, I command the blessing. And God is wanting, in spite of what we see, to unite us. What was once divided to be undivided, that he can bring the greatest days upon our country, that we can continue to take the greatest place on the planet to be purveyors of the gospel. I look at your church. This is awesome. See, in Hawaii, we love everybody. If you come in there, you do, everyone who comes there says, this is like another planet or another country. But we are the United States of America, the 50th state. You are a blended conglomeration of beauty. Out of Pearl Harbor, December 7, 1940, when Pastor Paris's father was interned, they suspected all Japanese Americans to be spies and enemies. And, and so some of our families were interned on the West Coast, on other islands and parts of the island, put behind barbed wire into barracks. But there was one caveat. They allowed uh, the 100th Battalion to be formed, consisting of mostly Hawaii young people that looked like me, size-wise, to enlist. And they would train them as kind of an experiment, put them on the battlefields of Europe. The 100th Battalion was followed by the 442nd Combat Regiment. Again, mostly people, Japanese-Americans, that fought. They put them on the battlefields of Europe, and they signed up, my uncles fought, to prove loyalty. My mother is the only, on my mother's side, she has Alzheimer's. God bless her soul. We care for her at home. Eight brothers. If we're going to battle to prove loyalty and their love for the country, we are not Japanese. We are Americans, and we'll show you. There was a battle that's considered one of the most significant of World War II, one of the ten most significant in the Vosges Forest in France, up on a mountain. They had to free 275 Texans who nobody could get out. Three units had tried. They sent in the 100th Battalion, 442nd, 5,000 Germans had surrounded the mountain. Airdrops with ammunition, airdrops with food kept missing. They were going to die. The 442nd, 100th Battalion were told they had, they had come through some campaigns. They were supposed to rest. But they were thrown in, and they knew why. My uncle was on them, on that thing. And he, he asked me, he told me once, he said, I don't know how I climbed that mountain, because they had to climb the mountain to go get 
the, the Texas Battalion. And it's a picture of that right there. I mean, this is not a, a little hill. This was a mountain. He said, I don't know how I did it. I did his funeral. He died at 94 years of age. I did his funeral a year and a half ago. And I realized what sacrifice there was because of the 1,000 Japanese-American soldiers that went to save 275, 800 lost their lives in the attempt. My uncle was one of the 200 who survived. Therefore, there's some survivor's guilt involved with that. 211 of the 275 Texans lived. Now, here's what you need to know. The Southerners are the ones, were the ones who often had the most distaste for people that looked like me. Those were Southerners up there. When they reached the top, one of the leaders, upon being thanked, said, well, you would have done the same for us, wouldn't you? I don't know what the reply was. <laughs> but the gospel would say yes. You may not feel like it. And some of the Japanese-American soldiers, my uncle, they didn't want to do it inside. But they said, this is us. It's not about them and us. It's all of us. Let me say this again as I close. One nation, one church, indivisible, with liberty, justice, and freedom for all. Would you take your neighbor's hand as we pray this morning? Father, together, you bless where there is unity. This is a church of great diversity and yet great unity, synergy and chemistry. I pray that there will be an explosion of grace upon the city, upon our nation's capital. For such a time as this, this great church has been positioned for greatness. And she has only just begun. Her finest hour is coming. Pour out your spirit on everyone here that in unity there can be blessing and impact. In the name of Jesus, and may we say it together, amen, amen. and amen.